it's important that CISOs just understand their own strengths and weaknesses and then surround themselves with the right team and empower others in the organization to, to take security responsibly. You're listening to Cloud Security Reinvented, a podcast for security leaders with a focus on the cloud. Learn best practices from fellow security professionals and how they disconnect from it all at the end of the day. Cloud Security Reinvented. Good morning, or depending on when you are in the world, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Welcome to Cloud Security Reinvented. I'm your host, Andy Ellis. Before I introduce our guest for the week, a quick word from our sponsor, Orca Security. Orca provides agentless security and compliance for your public cloud infrastructure, enabling you to detect and prioritize security risks in minutes, not months. Thank you, Orca. I'm here with Ryan Gurney, the CISO in residence at YL Ventures. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, Andy. It's great to be here. Thanks for joining us today. You know, across our careers, hopefully we as professionals grow, but often the world that we're in changes even more. And so today's about getting some insight from you, especially in light of the transition from the on-premise world that many of us started in to the world of cloud that has increasingly become the default model for IT infrastructure. But before we dive into that, would you share with the audience just a little bit about your career journey and what you're doing today? Oh, sure. Yeah, no, I'm thankful for the opportunity. Currently, I'm, I'm the CISO in residence at Wild Ventures, a position that has been held by two predecessors before. Previous to my current role, I, I held security leadership positions at Google and Looker and Zendesk and eBay. So I spent a lot of time in the cloud. Today, my, my role is really interesting. I'm not as much an operational CISO as more of a strategic person who's helping mm -hmm. founders and portfolios figure out their, their product and security story. That's fantastic. So Ryan, how has the world of security changed for you as the cloud has become more prevalent across your career? Yeah, it's really interesting. I don't feel that old, but in my time of being a security professional, <laughs> I've seen us go from attempts to keep all the data inside the borders of the company to utilizing private clouds, to then utilizing public mm -hmm. clouds, to the explosion of right third-party SaaS apps and mobile apps. And while we now realize the perimeter is no longer strictly defined as network and packets, right? But rather data and user access to machines or machine access even. This has meant that ultimately any weaknesses in your key uh, providers is, can also be your security weaknesses. It has broadened the attack surface, caused com companies to demonstrate more trust to vendors, often uncomfortably or not as transparently as they'd like, in order to mm -hmm. use certain, certain third-party services and made access and auth more critical. It also means that there are more environments where customer company data is being housed and accessing that and understanding your assets is super critical. Great. So Ryan, when you think about your industry and your industry is sort of interesting in that you're now at the early seed stage, how does cloud security different there from what you think others would expect or maybe that you expected coming into this position? Yeah, my, my industry is now is investing in helping founders understand the security mm -hmm. landscape horizontally and not just vertically. You know, now as I'm a CISO in residence, it's a little bit of a broader picture. But speaking about ideation, founders need to consider the completeness of what they're doing. It's not good enough just to say, hey, we cover AWS. They need to cover all the major public clouds and ideally the hybrid cloud as well. 
That is where the world is. Mm -hmm. Large organizations will have some sort of presence across all clouds, whether you as the CISO know about it or not. <laughs> and internally, and they should, to have that, they should, to allow them to not have lock-in and have some leverage on pricing, right? But with that said, and understanding that each cloud environment requires a level of know-how that's fairly specific to the security controls of that environment, I'm really looking at companies that can abstract that security controls and allow the, the practitioner to more operate at the control level rather than specific to AWS security. That's, a, that's an interesting way to look at that, right? I think we, we often think about multi-cloud as being integrated multi-clouds rather than just you have to work in all of them because there's a different application in every enterprise that's in each of sure. them. So as you think about the practices that we all learned early in our career, and I know you don't necessarily think you're old, but the only reason that, that you have more gray hair than I is I lost all of the hair that was supposed to be gray. But you know, what practices that we first learned do you think most resonate today in the, in the cloud era? Well, I don't know if this is specific to cloud, but I'm gonna mention it anyways. Uh, if I had to pick one example that should be buried, it's ineffective, slide-heavy, long-winded security training for employees. Security yep. training needs to be short, and to the point, frequent, contextual, and specific to the company and its culture. And that, and that does include how you sign up for SaaS applications, how you manage your cloud environment. You should discuss only areas that are important to the security uh, company's security and their culture, and also, Give people mm -hmm. tips on how they can do things in their own personal life and help their family and their and their friends. And I found that's been very effective to do. So the old the old stuff around these long winded four hour long trainings needs to go away. Okay, so that's what what doesn't doesn't work, and we should have gotten rid of. What should we have kept? What should we have kept? Well, I think the basics still matter, right? And and yep. whether you're in a cloud environment or, or in the private cloud or in your own you know on premise deployment. These things around being able to establish policies, identify vulnerabilities, and patch still matter. And they're always going to matter. Yep. And in some cases with our cloud providers, we just have to hold them accountable and work closely with them to do those things. Mm -hmm. So what have you seen as sort of the biggest surprise, or maybe there's still an opportunity for growth in the cloud that maybe people wouldn't have anticipated before cloud became Well, mature. I think it's, it's super amazing to think that the tools exist now for anybody to start a company. And uh, I've been talking to some founders, they don't even know how to develop code. And there's these no code and low code applications in the cloud that they've yep. come up with their product design and they're actually running their product without much of a development background. It's just amazing how many business functions you can just outsource now. And so the bar to entry is super low. So you can just yep. worry and focus about your ideation to start with. And I think that's fantastic. And definitely, you know, the, the business function as a service is a, a remarkable thing. I don't think a lot of us anticipate. If you go back, and, and this is our subtle way of saying, like, what screw-ups have you had in your career? But really, what piece of advice do you wish someone had given to you earlier in your career that might have saved you some trouble in learning yeah, later there's, on? there's probably a lot of those. <laughs> we are in a career that changes a lot. But for me, yep. it's really about security theater. And security theater is still a real thing, and we spend too much time on this. An example is one of my CEO, CEOs would challenge me all the time on security controls when I started. And he would say, yep. why do we have to do this? And I would say, well, compliance mm -hmm. says, well, why? Why are we doing this, right? And he was great at challenging the status quo. 
And I would say, well, PCI requires mm -hmm. SOC 2 requires this. This is just the way it's been done. And he, that was never good enough. He did not want to cause any employee friction. And while annoying at first, yep. that made me better at my job. If something is not truly reducing risk in a meaningful way, you need to look for another control and you need to be explain it, be able to explain it. And you'll lose credibility yep. if you can't, if you're just reading off a spreadsheet. So I wish I would have learned that earlier in my career, but it's helped me. Yeah, that, that would be a powerful thing. I think a lot of people still need to learn that one. You know, as you look at the future and somebody who advises, you know, early stage companies, you get to look at the future a lot. What opportunities most excite well, you? Besides being able to travel to the to Mars or the moon, besides those? <laughs> yep. Those are all pretty awesome well, ones. Well, I'm excited about technology being able to uh, reduce poverty and bring conveniences to people around the world, first and foremost. I think we have opportunities to do that with technology. We've seen examples of it for mm -hmm. you know, easier access to water, bringing the internet to everyone, helping with sanitization. These are massive gaps between people's living conditions around the world. I'm interested in that. In the security space specifically, I'm, I'm fascinated, like I mentioned before, about abstraction at the cloud layer around security controls, but also how can we make things quicker and easier for the CISO and bang them over the head on things that yep. need their attention, especially when we consider the challenges we have with hiring security professionals today. Yeah, I'm going to insert a shameless plug for one of my personal favorite charities, which is waterboys.org, which was started by a bunch of uh, professional athletes that brings some of that technology, you know, wells into impoverished areas of the world to ensure people have access to clean water and aren't spending, you know, eight hours a day just getting water for the family. So since sure. you brought that one up, I just want to put in that plug for wa the Waterboys, but a little bit of freeform. I've discovered that almost everybody has some piece of wisdom that they've learned through their career. It doesn't have to be about technology. It doesn't even have to be at your job. So is there something that you just love sharing with people that might you know, give them a better sure. life or a different I, outlook? I'm gonna make mine specific to the CISO career. It's, it's such a tough career. And, and there's a okay. couple things that I've learned that I, as I mentor other CISOs that I, I like to pass on. And one of those is, you know, security is non-binary. I would often have, <laughs> I'd have CEOs come to me in passing and they would say, hey, are we secure yet? Right? And, and perhaps that was just small talk, but I took that seriously. And I feel an effective CISO, whether, you know, if they have the support they need, should be able to say, hey, listen, I'm aware of our key assets. I know how they're protected and I know our key risks. We actively monitor it and we're managing to it. And, you know, the term CISO is a bit of a misnomer. Perhaps it's better chief, you know, chief cyber risk officer would be the better term, right? Secondly, yeah. I think it's important that CISOs just understand their own strengths and weaknesses and then surround themselves with the right team and empower others in the organization to, to take security responsibly, seriously for themselves. They need to be transparent and approachable and business focus, and you need to demonstrate empathy for others because if you're coming to them, you're likely asking them to do something. And so you've got to be able to demonstrate that empathy that, yeah. hey, I'm coming to you. Sorry, I know you're really busy, but I really need this for our customers and for our company. I, I love that. I often call it the, the sledgehammer argument, but I like just the simpler of it's not a binary, which is if you ask me to you know, secure the data on a system, and this one goes back a long time ago. I learned this from a, a sergeant in the Air Force who said, well, if you wanted to secure a system, you know, the first thing you should do is you encrypt everything on the machine but then you know, make sure you unplug the machine from the network. And uh, before you leave the room, unplug it from the wall too, so it's just not powered. And make sure it's in a locked room. But before you leave, just take a sledgehammer yes. to it. 
Like it's the only yeah. way to secure it is to make it unusable. So I think, yeah, the not a binary I really love as a, a way to approach it. So maybe security is non-binary sure. might be our lesson for today. So, so Ryan, thank you very much for taking some time out from your day to join us. And thanks folks for spending a little time listening to us today. For Cloud Security Reinvented, I'm Andy Ellis. Have a fantastic day. Thank you for checking out this episode of Cloud Security Reinvented. Brought to you by Orca Security. Orca Security detects and prioritizes cloud security risks for AWS, Microsoft Azure, and Google Cloud without the gaps in coverage, alert fatigue, and operational costs of agents. Please follow Cloud Security Reinvented wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or visit orca.security slash podcast to get immediate access to all of the latest episodes.